New on CuriosityStream, Darwin's theory of evolution, a scientific breakthrough, but 1920s Tennessee wasn't ready for it. It became the Bible versus evolution. Followed a heated trial that changed American education forever on Monkey in the Middle. And it's the country's deadliest highway. There were something like 178 accidents in a 10-year period. Don't miss the most dangerous road in America. Watch now on CuriosityStream. Annual plans are $20, just $1.67 a month. Visit CuriosityStream.com. You can blame it on the alcohol, but that wouldn't make me feel any better. People drink every day without killing someone. Besides, if I'm being really honest here, I probably would have still killed him if I'd been sober. You can blame it on my childhood too. Something to do with my father not being around or not sticking with school or falling in with a troubled crowd. That's not quite true either though because I would have ended up even worse if I admired someone as selfish and unstable as my father. And if the kids I knew were trouble, then it's probably my fault for making them that way, so I wouldn't feel so alone. I guess that leaves the blame on me where it belongs. I knew exactly what I was doing when I borrowed the money in the first place. Marky made it clear he'd taken the money from his father. He said the old man was too senile to notice though, which was fine with me since I never had any intention of paying it back. I couldn't plan six months in the future, but even if I could, I didn't expect to still be alive when the bill came due. But the money burned fast, and I always woke up again no matter how much I drank, until one day Marky comes banging on my door demanding something I didn't have to give. I could have opened the door that night and begged his forgiveness. I could have sworn to get clean and told him about the jobs I considered and made an incremental payment plan to get him his money. Sucker that he was, Marky probably would have believed me. He might have even loaned me more if I'd been sincere about it. 20 seconds, maybe longer. That's how long I held the hammer in my hand and thought about what I was going to do. More than enough time to change my mind before I opened the door. I wasn't even angry at him when I struck the first blow. I was only angry at myself and somehow, it seemed like I could pour all my anger out of me and into him until he was dead and I was whole again. Would it change your opinion of me if you knew I'd cried afterward? Doesn't matter. I'm not writing this for you to feel sorry for me. I would have turned myself over to the police or to God, but the police would act on me without understanding and God would understand too much while doing nothing. The only person I felt like I needed to confess to was Marky's father. He deserved to know where his money had gone and why he wouldn't see his son again. If anyone had the right to judge me, it was him. I hardly recognized Mr. Methusa when I tracked him down. He was a lot older than I'd remembered him. Back in the day, he caught Marky and I trying to break into a car together, and he let us both have it with a belt. He hardly looked strong enough to lift his cane now, but I was still more afraid of him than ever. I was shaking from my head to foot when he looked me up and down slowly, agonizingly, as if he was deciding my punishment before I'd even told him what I'd done. Before I knew it, I was on my knees, although I didn't know whether it was to beg or because my legs weren't strong enough to stand anymore. You're late, he told me. Where have you been? I've been up waiting for you. Stop playing around and come in, Marky. I'll get your dinner back in the oven. 
His mind really must be slipping to mistake me for Marky. With those words, he passed judgment over me, though. Now it was my turn to make a choice. I could break the old man's heart and tell him that his son wasn't coming home, or I could play the part and bring Marky back to life. I let Mr. Methusa feed me, and I stayed the evening with him. And the more he talked, the more convinced I was that I was doing the right thing in letting him believe. His mind hadn't completely gone. He really had noticed the money Marky took from him. And while I couldn't apologize for what I had really done, I found solace in apologizing for all the things he blamed his son for. Over the course of the evening, I promised to make it up to him, to visit more often, to take him to the park to watch the ducks and a hundred other things besides. He marveled at Marky's sudden transformation and insisted I stay the night in the spare room. After I'd gone to bed, he brought me a glass of water and kissed me on the forehead and told me I was home. Lying in bed in the dark, I cried for a second time that night. I couldn't forget what I had done, but that knowledge made me try all the harder to be everything Marky should have been. Mr. Methusa had lived alone since his wife died four years ago and he was overjoyed to have the company again. He showed me all his old baseball trophies and his eyes lit up with delight when I told him I forgot the stories and asked him to tell me again. He had a big cupboard full of early musicals and we'd watch one together every night. For the first few nights, all I could think about was slipping out to get a drink. But every time I mentioned leaving, I'd see this empty look on his face and knew my duty was to stay. Before I knew it, I was going days at a time without even thinking about alcohol. Not long after I found work at a pharmacy around the block and started making the old man's money back for him. It wasn't hard to save up now that I wasn't drinking and he was letting me stay rent free. I honestly can't remember a time I was so happy. I thought that this was how my life was going to be forever until the night we received an unexpected visitor. It was around midnight when I heard the rustle of a key in the lock downstairs. I got a flashback to when I lived alone in an area that got break-ins all the time. I crept out of bed and spotted a flashlight beam dancing around the living room. Part of me was afraid, but I knew I didn't deserve to be here, if I couldn't protect what I'd come here to care about. I waited until the flashlight turned around the kitchen before I crept downstairs. The intruder was facing away from me and I'd lose my chance if I waited any longer. He might have a gun or a knife, but I had a bronze baseball trophy and an arm that had done this before. I used the sharp corner of the base and got a clean blow in before the intruder could fully turn around. The man crumbled to the floor, dazed but not out cold. He started to crawl away, but I pinned him to the ground, ready for another blow. It would have landed too if shock hadn't stayed my hand. Marky was lying on the floor below me, looking just as surprised and angry to see me as I was to see him. His skull still looked slightly misshapen where I'd pummeled him with the hammer what felt like a lifetime ago. I told him he was dead if he made a sound, and he believed me. He wanted to know what I was doing there, but I still had him pinned, and he was the one who had to talk. Marky confessed that he'd recovered, but I'd been too afraid to return to his father without his money. He figured he could come back and steal again, then later blame the second robbery if his father ever noticed what was missing. I then confessed what I had done, and that he wasn't welcome back anymore. I told him he was rotten through and through and didn't deserve his father's love. He was angry. I was angry, 
and it was only a matter of time before one of us got loud enough to wake the old man. If he saw us together, he'd know I was an imposter for sure, and I wasn't willing to give up the life I'd found. It wasn't the alcohol after all. I proved that when I brought the metal statue down on Marky's head again and again, not stopping until he did. I was more careful this time and made sure to finish the job, cleaning and disposing of everything properly. It didn't hurt me the same as it had the first time. Mr. Methusa hadn't lost the son after all, but I had gained a father. There's nothing wrong with physical attraction, opening the door to a relationship. I wouldn't even mind if she only wanted me for sex, because I understand that physical intimacy breaks down social barriers and makes it possible for us to get to know each other on a deeper level. I'm worried that my girlfriend wants to use my body for something else though, and it's been keeping me up at night. When we first started dating, I used to think it was cute how she liked to watch me fall asleep. She was subtle about it before I called her out, just peeking out of the corner of her eye with this little smile on her face. She was really embarrassed when I first asked her about it. She pretended not to know what I was talking about, getting all flushed and flustered, trying to come up with an excuse for what she was really looking at. Eventually, she admitted that she always had trouble falling asleep, though, and that watching me breathe was relaxing and soporific for her. I promised her that I would never judge her for her secrets, and she promised to love me for it. After her secret was out, she dropped all pretenses and turned it into a joke. She'd use two pillows under her chin to prop up her head, turn practically horizontal in bed with her legs dangling over the edge, and just stare at me with her wide, hazel eyes. It was the first of many quirks that would transform her from a stranger into my best friend, and I cherished all the little building blocks that made her the only one for me. Then came the day I lost my job. It was honestly my own fault for a string of stupid mistakes, an order sent to the wrong person, losing a check I was supposed to cash, mixing up my schedule and showing up late. I tried to tell my boss that I'd just been fatigued and not thinking clearly, but I was ashamed that my blatant screw-ups couldn't muster much of a defense. Part of me was even relieved, because it meant I'd finally have a chance to rest and recover from whatever was making me so tired. Adding insult to injury though, I had even more trouble settling down at night, because I kept worrying about money whenever I closed my eyes. I didn't want my girlfriend to worry too, so I told her everything was fine. I couldn't fall asleep the first night after I was fired, but I closed my eyes and pretended, making sure to breathe slow and even to help her fall asleep beside me. After a while of faking it, I heard her rustle around and get out of bed. I peeked out of the corner of my eye to see her open the bottom drawer of her nightstand. I closed my eyes again and focused on breathing before she caught me awake. The last thing I wanted after a hard day was a midnight conversation about the future. A few moments later, and I felt her climb back into bed. Pretty soon I started feeling this brushing, tickling feeling on my ear. My first instinct was that she suspected I was awake and was trying to test me so I concentrated really hard on lying still and breathing slow. The tickling intensified to a persistent itch though, growing more powerful and intrusive as it moved deeper into my ear. 
I jerked upright when I couldn't take it anymore and swatted at the itch, expecting my fingers to close around a feather or whatever she was harassing me with. I didn't predict a hard mass of squirming legs like a centipede. I let go out of dumbfounded shock. That was a mistake. It reacted to my touch by burrowing deeper into my ear. The sensation was now coming from inside my head more than it was on the exterior. I tried to snatch at it again to pull it out, but something sharp stung my finger and I yanked away. Another mistake. By the time I realized what was going on, it was almost entirely inside me. My girlfriend started shouting, but I was so distraught that I couldn't process what she meant by don't hurt it. I ran to the bathroom and turned on the light, just in time to see the last inch of the creature kick and squirm and wriggle inside my ear. My girlfriend appeared behind me in the mirror, wriggling her hands and averting her eyes. What do you mean, don't hurt it? I asked her, words finally getting through. The interior itching feeling was already subsiding, but I felt heavier and more tired than before. You had a bad dream, she told me. Come back to bed. I wanted to believe her so badly. I stared into the mirror at the reflection of her wide eyes, and all I could think about was all the nights she had watched and waited for me to fall asleep. I turned without saying a word and pushed past her. She didn't try to stop me until I had reached her nightstand, and by then, it was too late. I pulled open the bottom drawer and saw a glass jar half buried amongst her socks and underwear. She tried to pull me away, but I managed to lift it out and look inside at all the squirmy, crawling, bug-like creatures crawling around inside. At the two empty jar glasses beside it, I sat and stared while my girlfriend's words washed over me, the lapping of cold water I was too numb to feel. They aren't so bad. I've got them in me too. They need to be somewhere warm and safe. You promised not to judge me. Why won't you look at me? They won't forgive you if you try to leave. I want to tell you about a curse I have. It's not a loud curse. There are no magic sparks or green smoke. It's a very quiet curse. So quiet that I didn't even notice it right away. The spell is cumbersome and rare because it has to be cast on yourself at least nine times before it works. I've had it for a few years though, and I've done my research. It's called Hapa Mapalu, which can be translated simply as, yesterday was better. It's quiet because we all have a lot of yesterdays, and most of us have a good deal of tomorrows. Who is to say how one day measures against another? Hapa Mapalu knows, that's who. One day the happiest day of your life will be behind you, and you'll never feel it go, floating softer than wind. One day the sun won't be quite as bright as the day before, and the flowers will seem a little more gray. Did the sound of laughter always have that cynical ring to it? Did she always hesitate so long before saying, I love you too? I thought it was my imagination at first, but since then I've seen it so many times there can be no doubt. I know the look on their faces. If you don't know what I'm talking about, then try to imagine a dog that runs back and forth through the yard all day, chasing butterflies in its shadow and every passing scent along the breeze. Yet every night someone pulls out at one of the fence posts and moves the wall in a little closer, just a couple inches at a time, until the day the dog runs out of the house and into the fence, which has crept so close. The dog can't run, it can hardly turn around, but why did it ever think it had space to run? 
and why does it miss something it couldn't have done? That's the way it has always been, and that's the way it will always be. Sound familiar yet? Hapamapalu knows. And tomorrow won't be any better. But people can learn to live just fine like that. As long as it's only a little bit every day, they can get used to it before it gets even worse. And before you know it, your body hurts all the time, all your food tastes rotten, and life is as bad as it can possibly be. But that's not quite true, because Hapamapalu means yesterday was better, and tomorrow is yet to come. The cripple may look back on his limping days with nostalgia. You hardly notice how easily you draw your breath until it begins to rasp through a throat worn dry and raw. You don't feel your skin until it breaks out in marks and sores, or pay mind to your sight until the shadows start playing tricks on you. I know I didn't pay her any attention, she deserved, until her heart was forever close to me. But that was yesterday, and who knows what tomorrow will bring. Papa Mapalu knows. If you could roll back the time, you'd hardly recognize the two of you standing together. You, and who you used to be. And by the very end, it would be hard to recognize you were once human at all. A mind is nothing but a reflection of the world that peers into it. And enough pain and bitterness and hate pouring in will poison any heart. And whether mind follows body, or body follows mind, matters not when both are driving each other inexorably into the monstrous, the abominable, the profane. You will feel so empty, ravenous, angry, aimed at those who never had this curse to bear. And you will hate, 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 hate everyone who couldn't recognize you for who you used to be. They will treat you like an animal, and you will treat them the same, until one day your hunger gets too great, and they will matter too little. You will lash out with all that suffering that has festered inside, until you are empty again and then you will need to feed. And you will chew, 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 and never taste a thing. It seems each of us is unique in how we suffer until a certain point, and then we suddenly find that we are the same. No matter what tortured form the body takes, nor which loathsome obsession fills our thoughts, one day will be the end of our tomorrows, and we'll all have reached the same point. That's the day when I didn't just have the curse. It's the day I was Hapamapalu too. And that's it. That's the end. I've reached the worst day and now I'm through. I'm on the other side and the curse is lifted. And suddenly all my tomorrows are better than my yesterdays. And the rest of my life is just a game to see how much happier I can be. Then I can't wait for every day to show me what treasures it held secret from all my days behind. If you don't show up, who will ever know what those treasures could have been? Hapa Mapalu knows. Say it bright and clear in your head, loud enough for me to hear you. Hapa Mapalu. Nice, clean, crisp words. Hapa Mapalu. It's fun to say and feel your lips bubble together like a newborn infant. Because that's what you are, you know. You're a new beginning. And now that you've said the name nine times, it's my new beginning too. Tonight is the night I lost my mind and found something better. It's the night I found you to take my place. It was one of those nights where nothing went according to plan. 
an evening out with friends, but I couldn't find a parking spot anywhere around the place. Two blocks down the street, then hustling through the chill, puffing breath like smoke. All that, only to discover I'd shown up at the wrong place. Then back toward my car, the skin around my ears prickled and numb. Feeling like an idiot, just in time to see the parking enforcer glide past me without a word, like a specter of death. Too far from the curb, I didn't even know they gave tickets for that, but I was already so late. I couldn't let that bother me as I raced through the dark neighborhoods for a shortcut, not until I slammed to a stop in front of construction work closing off the road. I remember thinking how this night couldn't get any worse as I pulled a sharp U-turn, but that was before a loud pop and lurch nearly spun me off the road. I was out on the street ready to fight whatever hit me, whether it was a tree or a sign or a mailbox or a man. Then I found it, a powerful drill that one of the workers had left by the side of the road. The drill bit was lodged securely in my tire, which, like my hopes of meeting with my friends, deflated before my eyes. It was one of those nights where everyone was the worst and everything was everyone's fault but mine, the kind of night where the lights seemed half as bright as they ought to, and the wind carried whispers of forgotten names, the kind of night not to talk to strangers. Flat tire, huh? Asked the fattest man I'd ever seen in my life. I don't know where he could have come from for me not to have seen him, but now I could hardly see anything else. The segments of his legs overlapped each other in great wads, his bulk swinging sluggishly to catch up beneath his baggy shirt. I bit my tongue to avoid lashing my frustration on this hapless bystander, fumbling with the truck, checking for my spare tire that I knew wasn't there. You want some help with that? I could hear his weight even when I wasn't looking at him. Every word seemed swollen, somehow, as though they could barely crawl over his blubbery lips. I looked him up and down, my expression intending to convey that, that he was doing enough just getting one foot in front of the other. He must have gotten the idea because he dismissively waved a hand like a passing manatee. Bah, you don't know. At least pull it off the road. We don't want to draw too much attention to ourselves tonight, eh? Who is this? A friend of yours, Sebastian? A second voice, speaking in clipped tones. This man might as well have been a parody of the other, for he was so terribly thin that I could clearly make out his knuckle bones beneath his skin. Sharply inward-drawn cheeks, eyes sunken into their sockets, and a curly knot of brown hair on his head. Never mind about his car. We're going to be late, the thin man continued. It won't be in anyone's way while the road is closed. A long, thin hand caught me by the back of my shirt as I tried to get back in my car. I wrestled away from him and he snorted in amusement. No skin off my back. Here, hold on to your own ticket. Then turning sharply from me, Sebastian, wait for us, Sebastian. Oh, I do wish I'd brought a camera. I stared down at the ticket in my hand with its elegant handwritten note glittering in gold ink. The human zoo admits one, every flavor of human. The night wasn't going according to plan, but why let it be a complete waste? Curiosity can race twice way around ahead before better judgment has a chance to put on its own shoes. I never exactly made the decision to follow him, but neither did I stop once I realized what I was doing. It wasn't difficult to catch up with the fat man, who was plodding his way down the sidewalk. By that point, they both seemed to think that I was here with the other one. 
Neither of them paid me much attention as they approached an iron gate, which protected a strange and crooked house. The plunks of wood bent and splintered as they struggled to support the slouching building, and in place of electric lights, spluttered burning oil lanterns enclosed in twisted iron. The thin man produced a key to the gate. Moments later, he was knocking upon what once might have been a bright green door, though it was now peeling and faded into a ghastly shade. The human zoo, in small golden letters above the door, a thousand questions on my lips, but I kept them unvoiced, so as not to betray that I didn't belong. Maybe it was something like a freak show. Whatever someone looked like, I didn't like the implications that they were less than human, though. Maybe there was human trafficking going on, and people were being bought and sold like animals. Or were the series of unfortunate events of the night making me paranoid, and there was a much more innocent explanation? All I knew is that I had to take a peek, or be left wondering forever what I might have seen. The door opened to reveal a rather stiff, unpleasant man in a dark suit. He had the face of a man who might order a drink, Discovery didn't like it, and pour it on the floor, rather than return the offending beverage. It was certainly the type of expression he gave the three of us, as he collected our tickets and ushered us into the dark hallway. Low-burning lanterns were mounted on the wall, the guttering light shifting the thick shadows across the dozen or more people already there. There wasn't enough light to see them clearly, but several bodies were strangely proportioned, possessing a clubbed foot or a dreadful swelling or tumorous bulges. A few inquisitive faces caught the light for a moment, but swiftly they returned to the main attraction, the long line of ornate picture frames which occupied both sides of the highway. Well, that was a relief. Here I was imagining the worst, when there was nothing but a gallery inside. Stepping away from the people I arrived with, I hoped the pair wouldn't have a chance to figure out I hadn't been invited. I pressed myself toward the thickest part of the crowd, where I hoped to blend in. I still felt conspicuously out of place though, and I had gone a good way before I found the courage to look up and see the paintings at all. There was a painting of a girl, a teenager, or maybe her early twenties. She had long brown hair twisted into a braid. The painting's style focused more on shades of light than any specific detail. It was clearly a painting though, which is why I was so surprised to see the girl step away from the frame to kneel beside a backpack. She proceeded to withdraw a small stack of books and sat them upon her bed. I turned to look at the painting on my other side and found myself face to face with a middle-aged woman. The viewpoint was fixed and I could only see her from the back. That was enough to tell she was in the kitchen, silently chopping something with a knife. I waited a minute to see if she would turn and face me, but she showed no realization that she was being watched. Oh, 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 that's more like it, croaked an elderly man. Several other people crowded around the painting he stood before. Sarah Berkeley, 242 South Clover Street. I didn't know she was expecting company. My eyes caught on the bronze plaque below the painting of the cooking woman. A name and an address, all of them had one. I followed the shift of people and tried to get a glance at what everyone was looking at. Let's get some sound from her. What do we pay you beastly people for? Another voice like a shrieking bird rose from the group. I had almost made room to get a proper look when a distorted pop crackled in the air. It sounded like an old-fashioned record player spinning to life. 
Filtering through the gentle static came a sudden heaving breath, intermingled with a soft moaning sigh. A thousand bucks says she regrets it, the elderly man said leering. Are you mad? She's fancied him for weeks. Thousand bucks you're on, said another. Oh no, not with you. I'm still waiting on that five large for the man who hit his wife. He only pushed her out of the way, and you know it, that doesn't count. Thousand bucks says she likes it, and she does him again before the week is out, rolled the fat man's distinctive blubbery words. Done and done. Shake on it, Sebastian, and we've got a deal. The moaning was getting louder, the breath more ragged. I still couldn't get a clear look, but I was starting to feel really uneasy. I kept my distance from the painting and pretended to be interested, another adjacent one. It was a man at his desk before a computer. I couldn't focus, there were more and more people arriving, and it kept getting louder. Look over here, we've got one crying. Pretty little thing, want to pay her a visit and see if we can't give her a better night? You go, I'll watch. Whatever you do, don't make it boring, eh? Then from farther down the hall, Oh, Weasley, you're such a fool. I can't believe you thought she loved you. That's right, run away. Run away, you fat, ugly fool. Hold on a second. Everyone quiet. Hold on a second. Everyone quiet. The distorted echo of those words were repeated from the darkness. I thought so. One of the animals has found its way into the gallery. Look, you can see the windows behind them. Then the voice said my name, and then my address. I slipped back toward the door as unobtrusively as I could, but I was the only one moving. One pair at a time, the eyes of the patrons shimmering in the flickering light as they turned towards me. Then I was running out the door, the gasp of cold air flooding my lungs as though I'd been drowning. Pick him up after he falls asleep. Those were the last words before I heard the door close behind me. I know you aren't supposed to drive on a flat tire, but the rumbling protest of my car was nothing beside the silent screaming between my ears. How can I go home knowing they're watching me? How can I ever know that I'm alone when they know where I am? And how can they even call that a human zoo when they are nothing but animals themselves? New on Curiosity Stream. Grab your lab goggles. We're out to find the world's coolest, loudest, and most in-your-face experiments. Wow. <laughs> That's impressive. See how hands-on science can change our everyday lives on oddly satisfying science. Plus, from goats to guard dogs, hear surprising stories about the creatures that brought humanity to the next level. It's animals that changed history. Watch now on Curiosity Stream. Annual plans are $20, just $1.67 a month. Visit CuriosityStream.com.